Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah. The charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh-oh. Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Save big money and start your spring project with help from Menards. We offer a huge selection of body plants, veggies, and herbs to plant at home and grow yourself. Right now, all four and a half inch body plants are on sale through May 5th. Head to the Menards Garden Center to get your garden growing and check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Away with Jamila Jamil. I hope you're well, because you know who isn't? Me. Because tonight I had a fight. That's right, I had a fight. I had a fist fight with an instant pot. I don't know if you know what those are. They are electric, slow cooking bastards. And you have to lock your food in and then cook it for a couple of hours and come back to it. And it's supposed to give you your food when it's done cooking, but mine didn't. So we had a bit of a tussle and it burned me and has decided to continue holding my food hostage. It will not give me my food. And now I'm hungry and I have no other food in the fridge because I was trying to be an adult and start, you know, cooking my own stuff because I've been living on cheese and toast and takeout and pizzas and uh, because James and all of my flatmates are away. So no one's here to, you know, make me live up to adult standards. So I've just gone like full eating Chinese takeout in my pants and watching terrible rom-coms and dancing to disco badly, singing so loud and so badly in the shower not really putting anything away. It's just a floor drobe. All my clothes on the floor. Haven't really done the washing in a while. The kitchen's very clean, but that's because I don't use it because I'm a child. I only use the microwave and the toaster. Made scrambled eggs in the microwave like a winner. <laughs> the other day I was running late for work, needed some good protein and fats. And uh yeah, Pretty sure there was no protein or fat in that by the time it was done being, um, I don't know, subjected to the nuclear bomb technology that is a microwave. Anyway, I uh, yeah decided to try and grow up tonight and this is what happened. I was attacked by an instant pot. So never again, I'm going straight back to my takeout and cheese on toast lifestyle from tomorrow and no one's here to judge me. No one's here to even know, apart from the fact that I've now told several hundred thousand of you, but that's fine. Anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about our guest this week. It is the wonderful and charming and funny Elizabeth Banks. Elizabeth Banks first became famous as an actress and then later on went on to become a huge and successful producer and director. In fact, I met her in an audition which is a very intense way to meet someone that you admire. Sadly, because of visas, we weren't able to do that film together, but we stayed in touch. And she is someone who is just always there to give advice if you need it. She's so open. She's so unpretentious. She's so cool and confident and 
just owns every single room that she's in. And she's super, super, super open and was so on this podcast. We talked about PMS, about her periods and how PMS is a real thing that women deal with and how it can affect your mental health. It's the main mental health struggle that she's ever had, really. So she's been super lucky, but it really has terrorized her at times. Uh, we talk about her work in reproductive rights and we discuss the ways that reproductive rights are being threatened. She's a huge activist in that space. And we also discuss her work as a director and her journey to that position, which is still not held by many women. But also we try to make sure that we don't just talk about what it's like to be a woman director. I just wanted to know about the craft and I wanted to ask her questions, the same questions I would a a man about being a director. And so we kind of danced in and out of that subject and it was so insightful. And she's just so creative and such an inspiration Uh, She also, by the way, has her own podcast that came out yesterday. It's called My Body, My Podcast. And in the podcast, she seamlessly blends autobiography and information to create an open space to talk about all things sex and sexuality. Uh, I am on the body episode along with LaVan Cox and Lindy West discussing body image, body liberation and body neutrality. It's very, very good. She's very good. And I, uh, I think if you weren't already aware of the woman, behind all of this incredible body of work, then I think you'll love her. So I hope you enjoy this and let me know and DM me. And um, if I haven't been murdered by my instant pot in my sleep, because I think it's going to take revenge at me for unplugging it. So if, if the robots don't come back to kill me in the night, then uh, I'd love to read what you think about this episode today. Lots of love to you. This is Elizabeth Banks. Elizabeth Banks, welcome to I Way. How are you? I'm very well and so happy to be talking to you. I love this podcast. You have such fun guests. I can't believe I'm one of them now. Oh my God, you're so ridiculous. Uh, it's a huge honor to have you here. I'm a massive fan and I have uh, in in recent years slash, yeah, I'd say years, grown to love you as a human face to face. Thanks. Thanks, lady. Um, I know we met in like, what, 20... 615? We met in an audition. That was like how we met. I was auditioning in front of you and I was shitting myself because I think you're one of the truly great comedic actresses of all time. And uh, I had to stand there and be funny in front of you. And I was mortified, but you were so nice to me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, uh, you were a very comforting and decisive leader in that situation and so I hope I uh I hope one day we get to work together where I can be led by you full time um but yeah you are a you're a you're a fave of mine a long time fave I think the first time I came across you was probably 40 year old virgin in uh opposite Steve Carell and I was like who the fuck is that yeah. Because it was a new type of movie, a new genre of film, and they were films that didn't give a lot of funny roles or moments to women. And I feel like you just came in just like, this is it. I'm going to make an impression. 
<laughs> it's, it's hard not to when you get to masturbate in a bathtub on film. So <laughs> you tend to stay in people's minds after that happens. Yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't forget you. And I've really enjoyed following your career ever since. There's so much that you do, not only as an actor, but also as a director and an advocate. There's a million things I want to talk to you about. Uh, first of all, how are you? You know, I, um, I'm great. I'm really busy right now. So that's exciting. I feel like there was, um, I wouldn't say fallow time, but there was definitely a lot of family time, a lot of focus on the family this during the pandemic and everything seems to be opening up. And I suddenly feel actually slightly overwhelmed at how much I'm about to embark on, which is great. I'm prepping a movie that I'm going to direct. I'm prepping a movie that I'm going to act in and, um, you know, being mom, being a mom, and and my son turned 10 yesterday so oh that's the sweet. other thing that's going on yeah we did a big we did not a big we did a a birthday zoom celebration and just you know making him feel special because that's what you have to do when you get double digits um you and I when I uh, I called you for the little kind of like pre-interview chat and we were talking I was explaining to you about you know and you listen to this podcast anyway thank you very much for doing that uh and it's about mental health and when asking you about your mental health you were telling me uh that you've been very lucky in the fact that yeah. you've had a kind of stable upbringing stable existence like you have a, a fairly stable brain chemistry and and you spoke about that with immense gratitude and almost reticence because it's so rare I guess <laughs> <laughs> um, but you did mention that you do however struggle with instability around your hormones around your yeah. periods and I thought that was really interesting and something that I wanted to talk about because that is a different type of struggle that we just don't hear enough about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, I feel what I was really getting at was that I feel really grateful in that I can, I, I have a, I think I'm pretty in touch with my body and I'm pretty in touch with what's going on with me. And for sure, I have had periods of time in my life, but I can tell you they're almost always, it was like, you know, adolescence, puberty, when your hormones are going crazy when everything was awful and mm. I hated everyone. And, you know, I, I, I definitely, I had really dark, dark moments. Um, when you think you can only see right what's right in front of you and you cannot yeah. see the next day, you cannot see the sun coming up. So I just want to say that, you know, I have a deep sense of empathy for mental health issues because I have, recognize them in myself. My mental health is in really good condition, yeah. but it's not, it's not because, uh, you know, for no reason whatsoever, I'm certainly very aware of like having to care for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And a lot of that came, comes from PMS and PMS being like a real thing mm. that's, you know, premenstrual syndrome. It's a, it's an interesting subject where for a while, the concept of PMS was used, it was kind of weaponized against yes. us and it would be used to kind of gaslight us around certain situations or, or, you know, it would be used to diagnose our rage as something other than our right to be upset in a certain yes. situation. And I have participated in that humor before, a lot of people have, but then I feel as though that became so 
rightfully stigmatized that then we stopped kind of having the conversation around PMS because we were like, then if we talk about it, then they'll know that it's real and they'll start using it against us again. And so then I don't feel as though I ever have the conversation really about PMS beyond just kind of cramps and anything that feels more physical. We don't talk about the psychological aspect because we're so afraid of it being weaponized against us, but we fucking need to. And, and I feel as though almost maybe as my friends are getting older, we're recognizing like more and more severe symptoms yes around our periods and so I uh I would love to know what your experience is what do you become like (laughs) what's your vibe well okay so mine's really specific and just so ever you know uh, uh, full disclosure I've had a very regular period Mm -hmm. like 24 to 26 days since I was I got my period when I was 11 just before my 12th birthday so three months before my 12th birthday so I this is you know this is a long time that Mm -hmm. I've been dealing with this, um, monthly extravaganza in my life. And so, you know, I really luckily, once you get through puberty, when the hormones are all over the place and it's not particularly regular in my twenties, I was like, Oh, okay. Three days before my period, I have massive insomnia, for instance. And for a long time, I would lay in bed and just be like, Oh my God, why can't I sleep? And I would, you know, you do your self check-in like, do I have anxiety? Like, what am I worried about? Cause you know, your brain's running constantly when you're most people, when they have insomnia. And I would just say, they're like, I just literally, my body is not interested in sleeping. And then, and through tracking it, um, which now you can do on apps, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do. Mine not- tells me like five yeah. days before my period, I'm about to become a massive bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it exactly. gives me a heads up so I can send the alert out. <laughs> exactly. So I had to just sort of like, literally I had a day planner and I would write like day one in my you know day planner every time I got my period. And then I could count days and be like, okay, I'm coming up on this period when frankly, I'm getting a flush of hormones and it's changing my body chemistry. I just know that it is. And it's, and it's not only that, it's switching something in my brain that makes me for sure way more emotional. Um, for sure. How, how emotional? Like, like, like a song makes me cry. Do you right. know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the like Hallmark commercial that you're like, I mean, I can't believe <laughs> that then she he gave her a Mother's Day card, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but and where it really affects me is I'm like a lit fuse. So I, I'm I have I'm just so sharp. I I can't. Um, I my problem solving ability goes to like zero, and I'm just like I need the problem solved this second. Yeah. I don't understand why things aren't working out today. And it's not a long period of time. I'm talking like three to five days in my life. You get the rage? Do you get rage? But monthly, it's not so much rage. It's a short fuse. It's right. like, it's, it's, it's a lack of um, coping with when things are not going well. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and like everything just feels um, either more anxiety or things that normally wash over me or is don't seem like a big deal to me suddenly seem like the biggest deal in the world to me. Um, and it may, and I'm, by the way, I'm not as nice to my kids and I'm not as nice to my husband. Like I see the behavior and what is, what to me having, um, healthy mental health is really about understanding those moments and knowing that this is, 
a chemistry, this something's gone sideways and, you know, and it's real. I'm not, this is, it's physically happening to your body and to your mental state, but you, you know, you know what it is. And now you're going to use better coping mechanisms. You are going to not scream at someone. You're going to recognize like, okay, this is me. This is not that they're not doing anything outside their ordinary behavior, particularly. I'm having a crazier reaction to it. I hate using the word crazy, by the way, but it's the easiest, I think, a simple way to say how you feel. We're you all know, collectively, yeah, we're all collectively, you know, easing it out of our vocabularies. But yeah, it's, um, yeah I, I don't get too many emotional ups and downs necessarily. I definitely become impatient the day before, but mostly I become extraordinarily needy. Mm. I become very, very needy. I'm hugely independent and quite cold and not very touchy-feely for a lot of the time because I'm just, just kind of getting on with shit, getting, getting, getting on with my life. And then suddenly about a week before my period, I'm just like a fucking octopus. I have my, my arms and legs become tentacles that will just like, <laughs> hang, like cling to the nearest human to me. And I live with all of these friends of mine and they just have learned to tolerate that, like, that when I suddenly become extremely sweet, extremely generous uh, with, my, um, with my love, they know mm-hmm. that it's because I'm having a chemical imbalance in my brain yeah, and that I'm manipulating them into giving me the, the cuddles that I need <laughs> that last all day. So I just become this like, it's like something out of a horror movie. Um, but, uh, that, but that's it. I become so far quite needy and, and, uh, hugely impatient the day before. But I'm also wondering after having spoken to you, I have these random patches of insomnia every single month. And I just sit there feeling like a failure, feeling like I'm going to fuck up the next day. And then the next day I have loads of energy. I don't feel as though I haven't slept overnight. And I, I think it is wild that it's still such a mystery to us that we're not we're not encouraged at school to start tracking our periods start tracking our symptoms i wasn't told anything about them i wasn't told anything about sanitary towels or tampons i still don't think that we are i was taught about the 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 doodles of the reproductive system and how babies are made but i wasn't given any advice and i can't believe that i'm getting to my mid-30s before i'm finally realizing you know what i should write this shit down yeah, we had Ashling B on this podcast, who is hilarious, and uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about she was talking about the fact that um, that she doesn't think that it's possible that men invented the calendar. She was like, "Why would men need to know?" when the next month is coming around. She was like, of course it was a fucking woman. Of course she probably wrote the calendar in period blood with her finger to be able to figure out when this hell was coming back around. I think what you're bringing up is really important, which is that women throughout history have been tracking um, for uh, family planning purposes Mm -hmm. and, and mental health. I'm sure, you know, you know, the other thing that happens to me, frankly, the positive thing is I get really horny right before my period. Mm -hmm. And I also, I, I also have the cravings. So I have the, the, I, like I make cookie dough pretty much like if I am, if I'm in my house 
And I'm like, gosh, you know what I need to do? I need to make cookie dough. Then I, it's literally five days later, my period's coming. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Like, I don't bake any other time of the month. I bake exactly five days before my period's coming. It's because I need cookie dough so badly. Okay. And then, and then I'm super horny and I eat voraciously and I get bloated. And then right afterwards, I, I'm not hungry at all. I truly lose my appetite for a couple days. I don't really eat. And I, same thing, when I have the insomnia. Not feeling as horny afterwards? Not really. It's funny that, isn't it? I always, I always wonder if that's quite confusing for my partner because I'm quite, I'd like, I'm quite similar. And so I go from being this sort of like cookie, cookie monster, sex monster, cuddle monster, uh, every kind of monster, <laughs> to just, uh, just being quite aloof and uninterested in food, uninterested in anything, uninterested yeah. in a cuddle, just like, so, and, it, and then it kind of slowly comes back again over the course of the month, but it's like dropping off a cliff every single month yes. and I can't help it. I'm just, I like what I like when I like it. Yeah. I think it's important for women though, to hear that, um, that there it is a, it is a cycle you know that there is a there's a chemistry and a hormone situation like going on that you can't really control i mean people who have are who are on the pill control it slightly but mm-hmm. i mean i still i was on the pill for 10 years and i still had most of the hormonal things i'm talking about still happen to me as your body prepares to have a baby or not yeah and you know and i think that that let's also hear that out loud your body every month prepares to have a baby yeah and then when it doesn't let's go of that idea. And so there's this physical thing happening inside of every woman from puberty until menopause that if you are aware of, or are not thinking about, you're having episodes, you know, you're having some sort of episodes potentially in your life that you, you don't understand are just really just part of being a woman. Um, And I've loved what you said about it being weaponized because I mean, I've had, you know, how many times have we heard, you know, women can't be a CEO or be mm-hmm. president because my God, they might get emotional for a day. Of the- All right, if, Brett like, Kavanaugh, like, yeah. <laughs> what was his fucking excuse? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, as if, you know, what I'm saying is like, I get it. I'm in control. Like, I understand what's happening to me. I make the adjustments in my life yeah. and I keep going, this has never kept me from a job. It's never kept me from staying in my happy marriage. It's not kept me from a single thing in my life. And, you know, maybe it makes a a moment with someone more tense than I would like it to be, but then take, you take responsibility for that, apologize and move through it. And you have 27 more balanced days. Yes, exactly. And the idea that like, somehow I'm not cap- as I'm not as capable on those days is ridiculous because that's not true. And, it, and if anything, I think women prove month after month that anything you can do, we can do bleeding, which is my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> I love that so much. I, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've got a kind of, um, I'm reconfiguring my relationship with the term, are you on your period where I now think of it as just a, it doesn't feel like an insult anymore to me as in I, I'm aware that people try to use it as an insult, but now I look at it as like, oh, are you going through this extremely traumatic thing and you're holding your shit together by getting out of bed today? Well done. 
Yes, but that's right. But I do recognize it as something that can change your mood. And I think that we should make space for that so that the world can make space for this massive change that we're going through. I think it was Riz Ahmed. There was an actor who once told me about the nut mist. He was was talking to me about the fact that I can't believe we talk about women being so so hormonal when they only go through this big shift maybe once a month. He was like, if if men do not, (laughs) you know, release... (laughs) Work it out. Bust that nut, then they become like, to quote this person, gorillas in the mist. And so that's why he calls it the nut mist. And he's like, this is a three day cycle where we could kill someone. Like we are out of our mind. Like we have lost all rationale. That's it. We can't, we, we are having so many sexual thoughts, so many aggressive thoughts that we're totally out of control. Fucking every three or four days. So why are we acting like women are the only ones who have something that they just need to manage? So I I, I don't know. It's like a thing that I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to normalize in my own head. Are you on your period as something that doesn't feel like a massive rude insult or a gaslighting statement? Just, uh, you got a thing that you need a little bit of support with right now? Yes, that's exactly it. Like, I, I think that's exactly the way to think about it. That it's not, you know, it's not some, oh, She's got a, wow, this lady. You're like, oh, okay. It's an understanding. You know, I was telling this story recently. Um, I was in a fitting and the costume designer and the, and the costumer. So the woman who like helps with all the clothes and put them, they were in their fifties. And, and then I was in the room and then a young actress was in the room. And so, and the, and at a certain point, the costumer kind of got a little wild eyed and looked at me and looked at the costume designer and said, like, is it a little hot in here? Do you think we can open a window? And the energy that went between her and me and the 50 year old costume designer was like, oh, she's, she's having a hot flash. She's going, she's having a hormone thing right now. She needs some help, (laughs) like a little relief. She was kind of wide eyed looking at us and we're like, absolutely. Let's open the window, you know? And a minute later, the, um, very sweet actress who's in her twenties and has no idea what energy just transpired between the older women in the room was like, I don't know. I'm a little cold. Do you think we could close the window? (laughs) And the panic that flashed on the costumer's face, like, <gasps> like, no, please, I need the one. <laughs> yeah. And just, you know, so it's important to remember too, like this doesn't end, you know, there's not like, it, it, it carries through for women for a long time long in our lives. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the care that needs to be taken in those moments of empathy of like, you know, no one's saying out loud, like, oh, she's having a hot flush and going through menopause and needs the window open. It's just like an, uh, when we all know what's going on, we can help each other through it. Yeah, we can also help ourselves. Ashling was fascinating in that she was talking about this book called Period Power, which I mentioned to you when we were on the yeah. phone by Maisie Hill. And I'm going to try and get Maisie on this podcast to come and explain it further to all of us. But she's written a book that explains exactly what's happening to our brains and to our to our bodies and how to utilize that for strength, not just like, oh, I'm so delicate now and I just need help. There are some, there are some moments during our cycle where we become superhumans, where our brains function so well and our... And it's, and it's often the same cyclical pattern. And so if we could just learn when that time is via this journaling that you seem to be doing already, like from when you were younger, uh, this is before we even knew about this practice. 
then we would be able to utilize that for our strength of like, this is my week to just stay home and, and chill and like, or be more creative. This is my work to go and get shit done and move house or do all of these difficult things or help family members, etc. Yeah. If we start to like play to our strengths and no longer look at them as weaknesses, but just alterations, I think it could completely transform our lives. When is a good time to do a job interview? When is a good time? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when's yeah. a good time to go on a date? Well, when you, like what you were saying about the insomnia and how the next morning, like I, same, I, I have these nights of insomnia and I like, I don't need the sleep. My body is telling me like, you're fine. You're going to, you're going to be great on three hours tomorrow. And you don't believe it until you've done it enough times. So you're like, oh yeah, I don't even feel tired. In fact, I now use those nights to get work done to like, or like watch a movie I've been waiting to watch. You know, I get the house to myself at three o'clock in the morning. Like mm-hmm. I don't lay in bed anxiety ridden that I'm going to be exhausted the next morning anymore. Cause I actually know I won't be, my body is not letting me down. It's just doesn't need sleep tonight for whatever reason. I don't know. I feel super energized the next day. This is, this is really helpful. You having told me that on the phone has just made me, it totally fucked my brain. Because I was like, oh my God, this has been happening to me and I've just been torturing myself every month for like 20-something years. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. 
have a huge interest in reproductive rights. You have been one of the more vocal advocates uh, in mainstream media who has been talking about women's rights to reproduction. Uh, I'm someone who talks a lot about our freedom to all reproductive care. And uh, I'm someone who's had an abortion, very open about it, very uh, chill about the whole thing, don't have any regrets, wasn't in an emergency, uh, it wasn't a victim of an assault at that time, just did it because I needed to do it, because it was my right to do it, because it was better for my life Yeah, in that time. And that is, that is fine, that is healthcare. And that is something that you feel too. Would you talk to me a little bit about it as someone who's so open about it? Also, do you mind me asking, have you ever participated in an abortion? Had one? <laughs> so participated you know, in means have you ever given one? <laughs> have you ever had an abortion? <laughs> so I have um so first of all, I, I've never had an abortion. Right. Um I but I have absolutely benefited in my life from the knowledge that if I needed to have an abortion, I could have one. Meaning knowing that I had access and a right to it. And, um, uh, gave me a real sense of freedom in my life. You know, it allowed me to frankly have wonderful, loving, intimate relationships in my life. I also always was with a boyfriend who I knew had the same values as me about it and also didn't want to become a parent before they were ready. Um, and I think, you know, there, there's also that time I remember, um, in my, I've been married to my college boyfriend now for, I don't know, 17 years or something, 18 years. So I, you know, I've been in this very long relationship with him and we started dating when I was 18. And I remember around like 25, 26, like having a dinner with him, we were out to dinner and I was like, Hey, so just so you know, I feel like if I, if like we accidentally got pregnant, I'd probably at this point, I think I'd have the baby. And he was like, Oh, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And we kind of, because you got to check in on that stuff. Like if he was like, no, 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 I'd still want you to get an abortion. You got to make sure you're on the same page about those things, you know? Mm -hmm. So we had been in a relationship where it was like, if we, if we got accidentally pregnant, I was probably gonna have an abortion. And then there's a certain moment you're like, no, actually I'm ready. I would be a parent with you. If I, if it happened with you, in this committed, loving, you know, relationship where we're already talking about our future together, I was ready to parent with in that time in my life. And it was really, I think it's, you know, it's just a really important check-in that I still remember being the moment where I was like, oh, okay, I've now changed my stance. I'm ready to, you know, if something were to happen, I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump in. And before that, so grateful to have had a mom who I would have told about it at the very least, you know, my sisters, like I have people that would drive me and help me and, you know, add resources. Um, the Planned Parenthood, you could walk to from my high school in my town where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, just knowing that that was there and was a resource for me, that is not the case for a lot, millions of women in America and the millions and millions more around the world. And I got pelted um, with rosary beads when I went for mine. Um, just threw yeah. rosary be- beads at me. Uh, yeah. That was a, that was very very intense. Um, it's fine. Didn't didn't deter me. Yeah, I think also there's a you know I I think also when well, there's so many women who go through infertility, and you know you, it takes a lot of the. Um, 
what's the word? I don't know, like the holiness or something that people want to put on pregnancy. Yeah. It's the holiness out of it. You're like, oh, it's like a sperm meets an egg and then it divides cells and they implant in the, you know, it's a really scientific process actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that when you intend for that to happen, it's wonderful. And when you don't intend for that to happen, I don't know why it's not okay to be like, that was never the intention. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It was your show, Shrill, that I watched um, where I understood finally how I got pregnant because obviously I I had the sex um, and the, the condom broke. And so I did the thing that you're supposed to do. I went um, a couple of hours later to the pharmacy and I went and got the morning after pill and then it didn't fucking work. Right. And I didn't understand how it didn't work. And I later, seven years later, watched the show that you'd produced, Shrill, with Eddie Bryant, which is such a good TV show, by the way. Um, Thank you. And she says in it that the pill doesn't work if you're over something like 175 pounds. I was way over 175 pounds when I got pregnant. And the pharmacist definitely knew that when he gave me the pill, but just didn't Mm -hmm. tell me. He didn't know. No, I I did not know that there was a potential weight limit on how impactful the fucking contraceptive pill is for someone. So I just took it thinking I was safe and then boom, I'm pregnant. That is... And even if I hadn't done all that, I still don't have to have a baby. But the point is, is that fucking hell, if they can't even make the system <laughs> to protect us from it, like two different man-made things, as in man, yeah. male-made inventions didn't fucking work. Why do I have to have a baby? Well, you, ne- you is, never do. Yeah. It, you know, and I, I work with the Center for Reproductive Rights. I'm the chair of their creative council very proudly. And they, you know, they really do all a lot of the legal work mm. to, um, to keep not just abortion legal, but so much work on reproductive health yeah. across the board and maternal health um, and just and equality, you know, and human rights. I mean, this is the thing. It's like, the world that we're talking about, just to be clear, is is um, is the difference between women deciding when and with whom to get pregnant without to parent, when and with whom to parent without government intervention, or forced pregnancy or criminal prosecution. These are the these are the, the this is the line that's being drawn right when mm-hmm. we talk about these things. So there's either it either is an accessible human right or it's forced pregnancy and or criminal prosecution. I mean that's those are the sides in this. And and, and so, so it's more extreme than a lot of people realize. Like they yes. don't understand why we need to like keep our attention on this. And I think for a moment when Amy Coney Barrett was uh, brought into the Supreme Court, we was talking about it again, and then we stopped talking about it again. We stopped talking about her or all the people who are in the Supreme Court who want to take away these abortion rights. What you don't realize is that you can have a miscarriage and potentially be prosecuted. That's right. And if they That's find exactly anything in your right. system, maybe you had a bit of, I don't know, like you smoked a tiny bit of weed and you didn't even know you were pregnant and you happened to have a miscarriage that was totally unrelated because that is unlikely to cause a miscarriage. Uh, they can say, well, this was found and traced in your blood. You did it on purpose. This was a, a home, a homemade abortion. We're going to prosecute you for this. You'll be charged. 
There are many, there are women, there there are women who have what, who have obstetric emergencies, right? So whether it's a miscarriage or some other, you know, their placenta falls apart, like there's different kinds of obstetric emergencies that happen to women all the time in pregnancy. Pregnancy is not some like guaranteed, Mm -hmm. you know, not thing. It's everybody is different. And the, the, um, the things that can happen absolutely result not so much in America in this moment in time, but make no mistake. That's the direction it would head in South America. They put women in prison who are mothers, by the way, parents, because they have an obstetric emergency and then they end up in jail for 10 years for a quote abortion that was never an abortion, but the doc, they show up, you know, at the hospital and the doctors are so afraid of prosecution themselves that they will, they have to call the police and then the police get brought in. And then, you know, and the whole because system the is doctor who would remove the fetus could then be tried, correct. but they could be then prosecuted for uh, murder. So yeah. the, there's like a, la- so the point is that there's layers of laws that make it, really hard for women to um who by the way may have wanted that that may have been a wanted baby that they've just lost so now they're grieving they're in jail they have left their families i mean it's makes no fucking sense it's it's, so outrageous um, it's It's, so misogynist is what it is i think deeply Uh, yeah, I'll never forget that interview that, I mean, obviously we don't know her anymore, but Trump, when he said, uh, he was like, yeah, I think there should be uh, some um, some punishment yeah. for the woman. And yeah. uh, they were like, and what about the man? Because he's also got a part to play. And he's like, no, I don't think any, uh, no, I don't think any punishment for the man. It's mm. just, extra- it, was extra- it was just one of the most extraordinary things I think I've ever seen on television. Where I was like, wow, you're saying that in the in the noughties on television. Like that's genuinely how you feel. That's extraordinary. And so many people, really, really fucking powerful people agree with you. So how can uh, anyone out there who's maybe just learning about what a potential serious nightmare and how how very possible this is to happen in the United States? This could happen... This could, this could pretend, this is not, it's not out of the realms of possibility. It wasn't only a matter of decades ago that we first were able to, you know, with Roe v. Wade, make it something that was accessible and safe. Yeah, I think the important thing to How do we support? How do we support this cause? Yeah, well, for sure, you should you should support the Center for Reproductive Rights. Um, it's it's at Repro Rights on all the social meds. Um, but the the other thing is, and if you follow me on social media, I post about it, you know, pretty regularly. Um, there's a lot, there are other organizations who are still doing that, but you know the the. And you can also support Emily's List, which advocates for electing uh, pro-choice female candidates Mm -hmm. office at every level of government. So, you know, state government all the way up through the federal government. And um, I find that just even doing that is enough. Um, It's important to remember, too, that you know, one in four women will access abortion in their life. So this isn't some rare thing. The other thing is it's made out like it's super controversial that Roe v. Wade, you know, there's so many people that want to be, it's something like 80% of Americans believe that abortion should remain accessible and legal and Mm -hmm. safe. And the other thing to remember is that, uh, uh, when you, um, when, when abortion becomes illegal, 
that doesn't mean abortion goes away Mm -hmm. and ends. It just drives abortion underground and makes it way less safe for women to, to access. And, and also that this is, um, in the time that we're in right now, when I think everybody's trying to do their anti-racism work and their, you know, their understanding about what systemic issues, um, you know, this is absolutely one of them. Because if you are, in, if you are live in certain communities, abortion is going to, you'll be able to find one. Um, and this disproportionately access to abortion or lack thereof disproportionately affects low-income women, women in marginalized communities across America, in every community. And so this is also just, it's part of a larger idea is is my point. You know, this is part of like- It's controlled. Gloria Steinem talks about this all the time, that it's like one of the first, like always one of the first moves of fascism is to take control of women's reproductive rights and control their bodies as if men have ownership over it. Yeah. And, you know, women have been sort of taking care of this since there have been women, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there was family planning, um, always, you know, you had a baby, you had to carry it. You were in a caravan. You made sure you didn't have a baby until that one could walk or somebody else could carry it. You know, the village was always a part of this. And, um, so I, I, this isn't new. The other, you know, the other thing it's, it's, there's a whole history to, um, the abortion rights movement, in America. And it's very obviously politically motivated mm-hmm. and, and, um, you know, doesn't actually reflect a lot of people's understanding about equality and, and morality. No, but the, um, the minority who believe that we should have those rights are very loud. Uh, I'm constantly loud. in their papers. There was a headline last week and they'd written, I can't believe this is legal. You know, when you're just too exhausted to sue where they'd yeah. written, it was a picture of me. I have said in the past that the best decision I've ever made was my abortion. And then I took it back and I said, cutting bangs was the best decision I ever made. And then my <laughs> abortion. And it really did save my life. Um, and I wasn't trying to be trite or glib about it. I was being very, very honest and sincere. It saved my life at the time in which I did it. I was yeah. not mentally stable. I was not ready. Like it was just all wrong for me. My happiness was at stake. Uh, I didn't have what would be needed to give to a child to bring them up safely and um, or put my body through that. And so I just shouldn't have to. So I talk about it very frankly. And they've the, the headline they used was killing my baby. And then they used in inverted commas, was the best decision I've ever made, says actress Jamila Jamil. They wrote killing my baby as if I'd said that. Right. The, the, yeah. the violent language of that, literally violent language of that, talking about it as if it is already like the, the, the way that they try to overly, uh, not humanize, dramatize. but like dramatize and like make yeah. it seem like it's a, a living sentient, like cherub yeah. who's there rather than just cells in the body. Yeah. Well, it's just like, it's a, it's a whole thing. And I'm not just, I'm not saying it's not cells in the body. It's, it's, it, it, all I'm trying to say is that they romanticize it in order to push a birth that they have no setup for supporting you through once that baby comes out the womb. Once that baby is out the womb, there is no support system for you. If you are a single mother, if you are a teenager, if you are a victim of a crime, there's no, there's no guarantee of any fucking support anywhere. You're on your own. So let let me be clear. If we wanted to do away with abortion, we would have forced 
reversible vasectomies for mm-hmm. every male when they turn 16, 17, mm-hmm. 18. So when they're ready to become a father, they can reverse it and go become a father. Um, that's how you get rid of abortion. <laughs> like there's a whole other side to think about this. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. What has the experience been like being the storyteller now, being the producer of other people's stories or being the director? What has that been like for you? Because I know that I've heard you talk about the fact that you do not consider it just this big feminist statement and it's often treated just as a feminist statement, whereas actually you're just like, no, I just, I have a perspective and I would like to share it or I'm interested in helping bring other people's perspectives to light. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's just a, a part of your humanity. Well, I, the, the difference really is that when you're a woman who, you know, plenty of men have directed or created or made stories about really interesting women with agency. There are a lot of good directors that have done that. You know, Mm -hmm. David O. Russell comes to mind for some reason, but you know, I was just talking about like Jenna Rollins and these amazing roles that she played back in the day, you know, a a woman under the influence, for instance, comes to mind. So there are these, these stories exist um, and men have directed them forever the fact that women are now um, taking over the storytelling for some reason, when I tell, if I direct a story about a woman, it's somehow, it's this feminist statement because, you know, look at this woman doing this woman thing. And, you know, I don't know. And it's just sort of like, I just wanted to tell this particular story. And if a man directed it, it would just, there would be no, you wouldn't say the guy was a feminist, right? And when have you ever read that? When have you ever read that? Like, (laughs) never, you know, well, Ron Howard is directing Kate Blanchett in a Western. So he is now a feminist. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) He just told a story with a female protagonist. So that's the, that's, that's really what I'm talking about. It's a very interesting dynamic and, and a line to walk because, well, of course I am a feminist. And of course I do connect to this story as a director. And of course I love this character that got created by this actress, but Um, I'm not sure I meant, I'm not sure I'm trying to, I'm not trying to be political. Do you know what I mean? I'm I'm not, it is political in its, in its essence because they don't, so few women do it, um, which is a systemic thing. And that's a whole other conversation, but just, it's interesting that, that the perception is that when you take on some 
a typically male role, like directing a movie and you put women in it and you have women behind the scenes writing scripts or, you know, being, you know, your costume designer and your DP and your department heads that somehow it's, um, you know, giant political, it's presented as a much more political statement than really we're just, we're just trying to, I don't know. It feels, it feels a bit like underhanded tokenism sometimes, you know, where, where you get treated like if you tell a minority's big story, you tell a big story about someone with a disability, it's the, the focus on it is the social politics of it rather than, no, this person has an interesting story and we just don't hear many of these stories because we don't make just nuanced and interesting, complex stories about these types of people. Um, and so I, I sometimes worry that when when they treat every single thing that we do as a feminist political statement, rather than an interesting story that was supposed to be told, it's a bit like, oh, that's why you wanted to tell that story because it, it's tr- it's yeah. trendy or it's it's you know, I it's do want to say I think I think it's also related to the fact that I'm a, an activist for women a little more openly than other women because I think there are women who make films with female protagonists and don't get this, I don't know, don't end up in the press. It's just like, she's made some feminist statement or something. Yeah. And you said that you don't um, often get asked technical questions, which I thought was really interesting that men will be asked yeah. about what lenses they're using or their cinematography style or what they're, how they're progressing as filmmakers. And you don't actually get asked a lot about that sort of stuff. What do you get asked about? I don't get asked. I mean, one of my favorite horrible questions was I had an interviewer say to me, um, so, oh my gosh, you're a mom and you directed this movie and, uh, you, ha- you know, it's so much work and you're, and you acted on this television show at the same time. Like, I mean, don't you just want to like take a bath? And <laughs> I don't know. I thought at the time I was like, do I want to take a bath? Like what? And, and I kind of realized that the interviewer probably needed a bath. Do you know what I mean? Like she was bringing her anxiety over my busy life and imagining it and thinking to herself, like I would just, you know, I take comfort in long baths and I kind of was like, yeah, I don't, that's like me. I don't take comfort in long baths. I like my working life and being busy and I take showers like, you know, just like anybody, but more to the point, I was like, I could not imagine asking a male director if they needed a long bath. I just thought, has that question ever been posed to a, to a guy to a leader, to a male leader. Do you know what I mean? Can you imagine if, I'm just thinking about it now, can you imagine if a woman had directed The Revenant? You know that film that they shot in like yeah. Arctic temperatures for nine months and Leonardo DiCaprio gets sort of, yeah, I mean... At least, Ravaged by a bear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get shocked yeah. by a bear. But um, but I, uh, <laughs> I I wonder what they would have asked a woman to be like, do you need a hot water bottle? Like they never asked him, <laughs> the, the director who was out there in sub-zero temperatures directing all these actors who were all like falling ill with pneumonia they never really asked him much about his comfort or if he needed a long bath and I bet he fucking did I oh, would yeah. if I directed that bloody movie <laughs> but oh, no I'd you're right there long was, all the time be in the hot tub every night there was no um, you're right there was no sort of like are you okay it was more like well done 
it was a lot of well done. Yeah. Like, wow, you've survived and you, and you got this, you know, authenticity and da da da. Yeah. And it wasn't about like, how did you, you know, did you wear a down coat every day? Like, you know what, I mean? I don't know. <laughs> what brand of down coat? <laughs> how did Canada you match it to your lipstick, Elizabeth? I know. How do you remain, how do you remain fa- fashionable on the set of The Revenant? Um, <laughs> Although yeah, interestingly, no. I saw you talk about the fact that you, you you wear dresses deliberately on set sometimes uh, in order to make sure that you I guess because you're trying to make sure that the the insinuation when you are taking a a predominantly male uh, role in in that in that you are the director you are the leader and and more often than not we've seen men take on that role because of this systemic uh, issue but you don't want to try to emulate a man in the way that you dress or behave because you think that it's very empowering and important for people to see that you can do it in a dress. You can do it as a woman in however your femininity plays out. Like it doesn't hinder or help the situation. It makes no difference. What is that? What, what, when did you start doing that? So a couple things. One, I really think it's interesting to, um, to just represent a person of power on the set as being someone who can wear a dress. Mm-hmm. So, right. And, and, um, and pink and, you know, a headband and, you know, whatever else I feel like wearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, sort of a cone you know, but, bra. Well, I, you know, I th- look, there's, there's a, there, there is a, not every director wears sort of like the uniform, but I mean, there's, you know, you're on, you're, you're standing up and walking around for 12 hours a day. So like, I'm not wearing high heels, particularly on sets, but I, but I, my comfort in a, you know, in a dress is high. I have a high comfort level in a dress. <laughs> so to me, that is also comfort in the way that you need in that job. Um, but I also I'll be totally honest. I had a camera, two women in my camera department, one of, and the camera loader who's in the department came up to me on uh, a project once and said, and they, they were in like, you know, their sort of the uniform for the camera department, just so everyone is clear, is typically some sort of cargo, cargo pants, pants short, black t-shirt. and a black t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Jamila knows because she's been on sets. It's yeah, yeah. pretty, it's pretty Crocs. standard. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and by the way, there's specific reasons for this. You need a lot of pockets in that job. You carry a lot of, uh, of tools mm-hmm. with you at all times. And the black is because you don't want to reflect in camera and you want to sort of disappear and black is the best color for that. So that is, the, so I'm, there are reasons why people yeah. dress this way on set, but these women came up to me and said, we love seeing you in a dress. They basically were like, it, it really, we just love that you show up and you're wearing a dress. Like you're, you don't have to do what we're doing right now, which is dress like all the guys. And I was just so happy to have heard that from them and that I was offering them another idea about what the leader of the set looks like. Yeah. And that it was empowering to them to like, see it. So yeah. and it, I just it, stuck with it. And I, you know, I'm, and, and, and I know you're not trying to make some huge political statement in doing so, but I do no. think that there is a really important statement made about not trying to project the construct of what masculinity is and masculinity therefore being the construct of what power and authority is. There are yes. kind of like just unthought of layers. And I, uh, I, I just, 
I love the uh, I love the idea of the impact that that has because I think when I look back on and I've been very lucky to work with a lot of women directors, um, but there's definitely uh, and that that may just be their choice, but there's definitely a, a presence that feels not just in aesthetic but in sort of demeanor uh, and delivery that feels different to when you then see them offset and it feels more similar to the male directors than I would necessarily expect uh but I'm I don't mean that as a way of judgment it's just something I noticed and I realized I've never seen a director in a dress it's <laughs> rare it is it's rare <laughs> yeah. you don't you, it is a rare thing where do you continue to grow from like are you just trying stuff out on set and trying new styles and trying new aesthetics are you going back and studying your old favorite films did you ever study under anyone or did you just just jump straight in I just wonder that because I, I only I only ask that because so many men I know have had the luxury of being given that opportunity to to learn right under someone else regardless yeah. of that person's gender I mean, I took every set as an opportunity to learn. So when I was coming up, um, you know, I went to what's called Video Village on sets. And I, you know, this, all this language that we're using is things that you and I understand. And I think it's always hard for listeners to get it. But the Video Village is where the director and typically the producer and the DP kind of gather while the scene is playing out. And if I wasn't in that scene, I always tried to be near them and sit in the Video Village and and watch how things were playing out and, um, and ask questions. Uh, and I very gratefully, I worked with really interesting, awesome directors really early on. Like I worked with Steven Spielberg on Catch Me If You Can. And I worked with Sam Raimi on Spider-Man movies. And I remember being on the set of Spider-Man and it was the DP on that film was Bill Pope who shot Charlie's Angels with me. And he is how we met. And, uh, he and Sam Raimi were planning a shot uh, of J. Jonah Jameson. Um, I played Betty Brant and the three Spider-Mans that starred Tobey Maguire. Anyway, so I was on set and I was watching them plan out this shot. And in my mind, I was like, well, if I were doing this shot, I would start the camera here and I would put it on the dolly and I would back out and I would, you know, bring in more of the world and I would have people cross, da, da, da. And that was all in my brain. But then that's what they set up. They set up the shot that I thought would be the best way to tell that moment of that story. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, huh, okay, cool. Like, I mean, you know, I maybe, I know yeah. maybe I know something, you know, <laughs> maybe I'm learning something here. And, um, you know, and I, by the way, I had studied, I had directed plays and, you know, I studied theater and I have a master's of fine arts in, mm -hmm. you know, in acting. And so I worked on every level of kind of storytelling and studied the classics, you know, the Greeks and Shakespeare and Chekhov and Ibsen. And, you know, so I have a, I have a, um, I bring some of that skill set with me to my career anyway. And then being on sets, you just, you just learn, you know, you just sit there and just go, okay, wow, that, that's how they're doing this. That's how this is going to happen. And the other thing that I just love to say to people always is you don't know how you don't need to know how to do everything to direct a movie. It's yeah. a collaboration. There's people that know about lighting. I don't know everything about lighting or, you know, uh, uh, you know stops on the camera. <laughs> like, I'm not a camera operator. That's their job. There's a, there's a, a I think, a, a barrier that people think you have to, you know, you 
you can't get through because you don't know the technical side of it. Uh, don't wait, learn that on the job. You can learn that as you go. And if you work with the right partners in your department heads, so, you know, I don't design, I don't sew costumes. The hell do I know? So it's why you bring people into the process with you. And when you find people that, when you have a vision for what you want and can communicate it, that's the most important thing to directing. It's not, uh, you know, do you know what the stop is? on this lighting setup, you know, you don't need to know all the technical stuff, the grips and the dollies and the, they, they, they're there to support a vision. Having the vision is the most important thing. A hundred percent. And it's so important, I think, for women in particular to hear that, because I think that there's like statistical evidence of the fact that we don't put ourselves up for jobs that we don't feel a million percent qualified for. And yet statistically, men are much more likely to throw their hat in the ring for a job that they have absolutely no qualification for, just in the hopes of like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to back myself, I'll figure it out. I'll fake it till I make it. And I feel as though we are more held back by uh, the imposter syndrome. And I talk about this a fair bit on this podcast, but I have never, no, and don't be like me, because I'm basically, catch me if you can, uh, but I have never known how to do any of the things <laughs> that I've gone on to do any of them. Uh, well, and I'm figuring it out and I'm not always fucking perfect, but I've learned and I've grown and I've had, yeah. and, and when it's a fucking disaster, it's hilarious later, later, much later sometimes. I, I do want to say the imposter syndrome, that's totally real. Fake it till you make it totally real. The statistics that you're mentioning, totally real. Um, women have to be, typically need to be asked to like run for office, you know, like they don't just like walk in and go like, you know what? I deserve to be on the school board. You know, they, they need to be like you know, talked into it and same with directing and think, you know, any of these sort of big leadership jobs, often women need to be asked, right? They don't put themselves up for the promotion. They hope somebody promotes them. Um, but I will say that I also, there, the other side of that is that the stakes for women are higher. The consequences of not getting it right are higher mm -hmm. for women. I think there is a a real fear that is rooted in our culture that if you do a bad job, that's it. That's your chance. And you blew it. And so I want to recognize that for women too, like that, that it, the, those stakes feel really high and I get it. I, I, I felt it too. I feel it. And I understand that it is a, it is a impediment to, asking for more responsibility, more money, more resources to do things. Because when we mess up, you know, they don't, they, they don't let it go. You know, it's not some like, eh. they, they don't. But then at the same time, you and I have both had hits and misses in our careers and carried on and the world didn't that's actually right. stop turning. And I think that's also totally. really important. So yes, it is real that we will be shamed maybe a bit more for it. or We will be judged harsher for it. And the, the standards are higher for us to meet at the very, very start. We give men more of an opportunity to learn, to be apprentices, to kind of, you know, uh, work their way up slowly. And then we kind of sometimes 
dr- panic, realize, oh no, uh, we've not represented this minority or, or women. And so we're just going to throw one in quickly, like way in the deep end. And yeah. if she doesn't swim, if she sinks at all, then that was confirmation that we shouldn't have ever had a woman in that role or a person with disability in that role or a marginalized person of any kind. They, yeah. they use it as a kind of confirmation bias. And so what's so important is that you recognize that system, recognize the intention of that system, which is to make us believe that there's a good reason that we've all been excluded all this time. That's right. To chip away at our fucking self-confidence and realize that actually the best thing you can do is stick around. Stick Mm -hmm. around, carry on, learn from it, grow from it. Like just just keep pushing. You are still directing. You are still acting. You have not had to win an Academy Award for every single thing you've done. You continue to grow, you continue to thrive and you continue to excite uh, all of us who are following your career with the decisions that you make. And, and it's really fun to watch you grow as a producer and as a director and and feel like we're all on that journey with you. And, and you know, if anyone has any doubts about what I'm saying, go back and watch the pilot of The Good Place and see what a pile of shit I am. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm having a panic attack the whole time I'm looking. I couldn't even look Kristen Bell in the eyes for seven episodes. For the first seven episodes, there were only 13 in the first season. And I couldn't <laughs> look her in the eye. I would try to deliver all of my lines to... Uh, to William Jackson Harper that all were directed at Kristen Bell I would have to say them to William Jackson Harper and quickly dart my eyes back at her because I felt so ashamed of being there because I had no idea of what I was doing so go back and watch it you can literally watch me grow and figure this shit out in real time yeah but you know what someone thought you belonged there and that you were right and they were right yeah and they gave you the opportunity and then you exactly what you're saying and then you grew you grew into that because someone else had the confidence that like this is the right person for this job. And, yeah. and I, I, by the way, I'm grateful for everybody that's ever said, yeah, I, Liz Banks, let's let her do it. Let's let her try it. I think she can do it. Yeah. That's, it is important. You do need those, you do need those moments in your life, you know? Yeah. And I mean, lucky for you, the first time, I believe the first time you directed was Pitch Perfect 2. And the message for all young women out there is just keep going, keep going, try anyway, as you said. So Elizabeth Banks, before I lose you, Will you tell me what do you weigh? Ooh, I weigh being a great mom, being a good daughter, being um, an artist, and I weigh my confidence that has grown over time. Um, and I weigh my uh, and my, I, I weigh my optimism about the future. Love that. And love you and see you soon if we find each other around the world. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh a business owner, a rape and PTSD survivor, succeeding as a female wildlife camera operator, 
children's liver disease survivor, a good listener, lonely, sister, depressive, a National Geographic explorer, an activist, being 10 years into being probably James Blake's biggest fan, uh, I'm hypermobile, I have a phone phobia, so this is very difficult, and uh, I'm a charity fundraiser. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.